John chapter 10. I had some pictures I wanted to show you this morning, but I'll have to verbally visualize them for you. Uh, we're in John chapter 10. When I was a, uh, a psychology student at Wheaton College, um, we studied a lot of different things, and before I changed my major after I got called to ministry, um, I remember studying uh, uh, a proposition or a theory called Maslow's Hierarchy of Needs. Maslow developed a uh, concept that as humans, we have five core needs uh, that have a variety of expressions, but everything comes down to our desire and our need for these five things. And it, it constituted like a, a pyramid. At the bottom of the pyramid, at the base, was our most core needs, and then it went up to our, our lesser needs, but things that are still important to us. So at the base, at the bottom, was our biological and, and uh, physiological needs, like needing food and drink and, and uh, shelter and warmth. We need warmth this morning. How many say amen? And, and we need sleep. Uh, some of us maybe more than others this morning. So those are our, our base needs, what we need to, to live and survive, our biological and physiological needs. Then second is our safety needs as you go up the pyramid, the things we need, protection from our enemies like our veterans, uh, law and order, uh, securing us, keeping us free, um, keeping us free from fear. These are, these are core needs for us as human beings. Then third was our need for love and belonging, that we need friendship and intimacy and, and relationship with, with family and friends and a spouse and kids and, and, and uh, co-workers even, the body of Christ, we would say spiritually. So there's a need for, for belonging. There's a need for connection and community that we have. So you have the basic biological needs. You have the need for security and freedom. You have the need for some sort of connection relationally. Then as you get to the fourth need, he said there's a need for esteem. We want to believe that we are achieving something, that we have success in, in some way, that we are, that we are um, respected by other people. And then as that kind of goes on, that, that we have prestige and that people notice us and that we're able to kind of uh, function independently of others because we've reached a certain level of capability. Then Maslow said that the fifth area of need, uh, the, the penultimate at the top, was what he called self-actualization. This is reaching our potential and finding self-fulfillment and growing personally. Now, the first three needs are, are basic. They're core needs. They're, they're really what we would say would be obvious. We need biological needs, we need security needs, and we need relationship. But as you get to the top two, they really are are more in the theme of being noticed and respected, stemming from being intelligent and being uh, successful and strong. These are the things that are kind of our values beyond what we just need to get by day to day. There are values that we have that we want to be seen as capable and strong and intelligent and respected and, and, and good in our field. Every person has a definitive desire for that. Some people have a, a greater drive for it. They just, they have to be successful. They have to be known. They have to be recognized. Other people, it's not as big a deal. But all of us have that need within us. So when we think about ourselves, and 
how we want to be perceived because you obviously care and I care how we're going to be perceived. What are people going to think about us? We made decisions this morning. We got ready to take a shower. Maybe if you're a woman, put on some perfume or a man, put on some cologne. We, we chose what we were going to wear. We didn't just grab something out of the closet, pajamas and, and a ratty t-shirt. We, we dressed up, we put on a belt, we combed our hair, we brushed our teeth. We had a desire to be perceived in a certain way. All of us go out throughout the day of, of wanting to, to be perceived, uh, hopefully as strong and resilient and capable and successful. Even if internally we're insecure, or we're, we're questioning ourselves, or we're lacking in confidence. Maybe you looked in the mirror this morning like I do many mornings and go, how can I look that old? It's not possible. Not can my hair be that gray? And, I, and, you, and you maybe feel a little insecure. I'm, I'm a little heavier than I want to be, and, and I wish I was thinner. So maybe you walk out the door kind of feeling insecure. You dress in a certain way or, or, or put on makeup in a certain way that, that will make you seem a little bit more happy and secure than you actually are. But, but at the end of the day, you want the default of being recognized as capable and kind of in control and, and independent rather than dependent. Every person deals with that. It doesn't matter if they're homeless or they're a CEO. Every person has a perception that they want to see, uh, want other people to see. And, and part of that is the reason why it's such a hindrance for so many people to trust in Jesus Christ. Because at the end of the day, it is about us. It is about what we think. It is about us being independent. It's about us being in control. And when we put our trust in Christ, that all goes out the window. We have to admit that we're a sinner. We have to admit that we can't save ourselves under any circumstance. And then we have to repent of that sin and say, I don't want to be who I used to be. I don't want to be who, who I project to be. I want to be a child of God. Then we have to trust Jesus to save us and forgive us. And then once we trust Jesus, we have to submit ourselves and our lives to him completely to be our Lord. And then once we submit ourselves, we serve him. Now, all of those things, admitting, repenting, trusting, submitting, and serving, are contrary to what Maslow is saying really is at the top, which I want to be successful, I want to be in control, I want people to think I'm wonderful. So Christianity and trusting in Christ really goes against that because it is personally humbling and it's self-sacrificial. And, and that's why our humanity and our pride not only fights us when we put our trust in Christ, but every single day that we're a believer, our humanity is waking up and saying, all right, today's about you. Forget Jesus. Forget the Bible. Forget living for the Lord. Forget being holy. Forget being separate. And the enemy's constantly prodding and speaking into our heart and mind and saying, yeah, yeah, that's right. Serve yourself today. Live for yourself today. Which is, again, we've quoted it so many times, why Jesus says, you got to deny yourself daily, and you got to take up your cross, and you got to follow me. So there's a humbling process of submitting ourselves to Christ. But when we do that, it's the greatest thing that we can do. If you love the Lord this morning, if you know the Lord this morning, do you know that there is nothing more awesome than being delivered from your sin and being restored to fellowship with God and being told you are free from bondage 
And as we mature in that, as we grow older in Christ, we realize that it is so much more wonderful to trust and yield to the Lord than it is to live for ourselves. The more you grow in Christ, the more you want to trust. The more you mature in Christ, the more you want to yield. The more you recognize that Christ delivered you from your sin, the less you want to sin, and the more you want to put the old man in the dirt and say, I'm going to live in the new man. I'm going to live holy and set apart for Christ. It's not, it's not an awful thing to follow Christ. It is the most wonderful thing in the world, but the enemy still fights us. He still tries to, to get us to resent trusting and to resent uh, yielding and to resent serving the Lord. And he mocks us about it. He taunts us. He says, this is worthless. Why are you doing that? Nobody around you is doing that. Your friends think you're weird. Why do you go to that church? Why do you sit in that cold building this morning? Why do you sing those songs about Jesus? Why do you do any of that? That's degrading to you. Don't you know you have needs to serve yourself? Why don't you do that? And then he reminds us of something that seems really degrading. He says, Jesus called you sheep. Jesus called you sheep. Do you guys know, do you know, Rhodes, what a sheep is? Do you know how vulnerable and gullible and pathetic they are? I did research on sheep this week. It's amazing what you do as a pastor sometimes. I, I did research on sheep. And I found that there are at least 13 characteristics of sheep. And I wish we had these on the screen, but you'll just have to listen well. There are at least 13 characteristics of sheep that, that experts say really define who sheep are. Now remember, because this is our premise this morning, you and I are called sheep, okay? Because this is who we are. Listen to what sheep are described as according to my stellar research. They're timid and fearful and easily panicked. They're gullible. They're easily influenced by whoever's leading. They stampede easily because they're vulnerable to the mob mentality. They have little to no self-defense, and when they're threatened, they essentially just run. They're jealous. They compete for dominance. They're stubborn. They want their own way, even to the point of eating poisonous plants or drinking dirty water because they feel like it. They're easily stuck when they're flipped on their back. That's true if you're over 52, by the way. They don't like to be clean. They're creatures of habit who get into ruts. They need prodding to know what to do and where to go or they'll wander off. They're easily attacked and killed by their enemies and they're totally dependent on the shepherd for their every need. Now, I don't know how you anybody could twist that. Those are not strong, respectable characteristics by anybody's analysis. So when we're called sheep, we go, wait a second, that's not very nice. But it is the reality of who we are spiritually. It is our spiritual condition. We're sheep. And that's why we need a shepherd. And thankfully, Jesus came to be our shepherd. So what he teaches here, long introduction, chapter 10 of John, what he teaches here in this chapter is, uh, is really telling us as much about ourselves as it is about him. The fact that we need a shepherd and the fact that he is the only one who is worthy to be our shepherd. So let's read a couple verses here, and then we're going to kind of simply take this apart this morning and develop what we need to know, okay? John chapter 10, start in verse 7. So Jesus said to them again, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. 
All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I'm the door. If anyone enters through me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they might have life and have it abundantly. Verse 11, I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who's not the owner of the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he's a hired hand and is not concerned about the sheep. I am the good shepherd, second time he says it. And I know my own, and my own know me. Even as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep which are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will hear my voice, and they will become one flock with one shepherd. Now, Jesus, if you go back a couple verses back to the end of chapter 9, Jesus has just finished talking to the Pharisees. And he's not only affirming his deity to them, he's not only saying, I'm God in flesh, but he's also indicting them for their spiritual blindness, uh, the fact that they were leading people astray spiritually. Most people at that time couldn't read. So they, didn't, they weren't able to do what we're able to do. Do you realize the privilege of what we have this morning, that we can sit with the word of God in our hands and that it's readable and we understand it? And that we can have cell phones and devices that, or books, I know books, like, right, uh, that, that will research these things and we can click twice and we look at the Hebrew meaning of a word or the Greek meaning of a word and we can cross-reference and we can study uh, to, to levels that are unimaginable to the people in Jesus' day. The people in Jesus' day couldn't read. Most of them didn't have a copy of the Bible. They, they were dependent on the religious leaders to teach them what the Word of God said. The problem is the religious leaders were corrupt spiritually, and they had invented their own law. So now they were putting heavy burdens on the people and teaching them things that weren't actually in the law to, to promote themselves. So Jesus comes to the Pharisees and he says, here's the problem with you guys. You're leading the people astray, you're corrupt spiritually, and you're not doing the job that you're supposed to do. And because of that, the people are wandering spiritually. They're sheep without a shepherd. So if you look back in verse 8, he says essentially what you guys are, are, are thieves and robbers. You've lied to the people. Your actions have led them farther away from God. You've done more harm than good to them. And, and he says in verse 10, their actions have essentially had the effect of stealing, killing, and destroying people spiritually. Now, there's a very important spiritual thought for us there. There's an important application that we have to get in that, both for me as the pastor and our leaders, but also for every one of us as a believer. We are responsible, listen now, we're responsible for the spiritual growth of those people that are around us. And we are either damaging them or we're strengthening them. As the pastor, I have a responsibility to be the shepherd of this flock. All pastors in this city this morning, in this area, in the country, in the world, are, are shepherds of the flock. We have a responsibility to teach the Word of God. And the Bible says, I'm held to a higher level of accountability this morning because I'm standing up here and I have to have studied and listened to the Holy Spirit and prayed and prepared. So if I teach the Word of God wrong, I get double punishment. So there's a high accountability for shepherds to, to 
teach people to grow, to disciple them, to lead them to spiritual maturity, and to teach the whole counsel of God. And that's a, that's a sobering calling. And I believe there's really been a lack of caution in Christianity, especially in America, with handling the Word of God well. But listen, it's not just me. And it's not just those who teach this morning and our leaders. It also is incumbent on every believer to accurately handle the Word of truth and to do the work of evangelism and edification. How do I know that? Because Christ has called us to be witnesses, ambassadors, and disciplers. It's not just, well, Rhodes, you're the pastor, and, and you do it. Pastor Paul, you just you teach everybody and disciple everybody, and we'll get fed. Yes, that's true. But once you get fed, you're also supposed to do the same to everybody else. So every one of us as a believer has the job to handle the Word of God, to tell it to other people, to disciple them. He says, go into all the world and make disciples. In other words, every one of us that claims the name of Jesus Christ has the job of discipling somebody else. So we have to ask, am I strengthening people or am I harming them? Then, as a sharp contrast, go back to chapter 9, to their hypocrisy and carnality, Jesus talks about himself. And he says, look at the text, it's in verse 7, he says, I am the door to the sheepfold, and all others are frauds. But if you go through me, you will be saved. Now, there's no way whatsoever that anybody could have misinterpreted what he was saying. There's no way people could have mistaken him that, that, that he was saying something because when you get down to verse 19, you see that there was argument and division about what he was saying because he's presenting himself as the only way of salvation. No matter what culture says this morning, no matter how it wants to redefine Jesus, Jesus left no room for equivocation. In John 10, 9, he says, I am the Savior. And in John 10, 10, he says, the result of being saved is life and abundant life. So in verse 11, he says, here's how I'm going to save you. I'm going to lay down my life for you. That's a necessity because every sheep is in mortal danger of eternal death. The enemy has come to kill and destroy spiritually, and he's effectively infiltrated the hearts and minds of mankind. He's become a predator of our souls, and there is no way we can save ourselves. Without a Savior, we are weak, helpless, and hopeless, and the, sh and the wolf will grab us and scatter us spiritually. So Jesus says, I can't have that. I've come to be the shepherd, and I've come to lay down my life for the sheep. And because I'm laying down my life for the sheep, I will defeat the enemy, and I will offer salvation. Now, the analogy that he uses to describe this in verse 9 is really interesting. And anybody that was listening to him at the time, anybody in Israel would have understood completely what he was saying. Look back at verse, nine, just, or verse 7 for a second, and then uh, verse 9. He says... I am the door to the sheepfold. I'm the door to the sheepfold, which is where the sheep were most vulnerable to attack. See, see, back in ancient Israel, and even to this day, out in the wilderness, there would be, there would be circles of rocks. There would be an enclosure that was built of rocks about five feet high, and that big 
kind of almost full circle enclosure was where the shepherd at night would take the sheep in because the predators, the, the wolves or coyotes or whatever were coming across, wouldn't be able to get over the five-foot wall. So the sheep would sit in the enclosure, and they'd be protected from attack, and they'd also be protected from wandering off. The shepherd couldn't just allow the sheep to graze and then lay down and go to sleep, because when he woke up in the morning, he would find many of his sheep dead. So he would build an enclosure, and all throughout Israel, even today, you can see stone enclosures throughout the wilderness because there are no trees, there are no houses, there's no farm to speak of. It's just barren wilderness. Now, one end of the enclosure would be open. That was called the door. And because the door had to be open to let the sheep in to be safe at night, at night, the shepherd would sit in the door. He would become the door. So whenever uh, an attacker came, he would be the last line of defense, both for an attacker coming in and for the sheep from wandering out. So the shepherd served as the door, and he was ready and willing to give his own life as a sacrifice for the sheep. Now, it makes sense. Look back at the text for a second, because Jesus says, I'm the door. I'm the door for the sheep. And he's not talking about a stone enclosure at this point. He's talking about salvation. You are under attack. Your soul is under attack. You have no way to defend and save yourself. You are helpless and hopeless without the shepherd. So spiritually, I'm going to put you in the enclosure and I'm going to become the door. There's no way to get in the enclosure without coming through me. And I will protect you from attack, and from harm. It's a beautiful picture. And in case we don't think this morning that we need a protector, that we don't need a Savior, that we don't need a door, there are really two reasons why we absolutely need Him as our Savior and as our protector. One is that the wilderness is dangerous. Our enemy is described as one who prowls around seeking whom he may devour. Now, we've all quoted that verse before, but that's not hyperbole. That's not just, well, our enemy's out there and he's prowling around. That is, that is a reality that we face spiritually. Uh, do, do we really understand the, the incredibly dangerous nature of spiritual warfare? How unrelentingly pervasive it is, how intense it is, how much the enemy, how desperately he wants us to wander away from the Lord, how desperately he wants us to rebel against God, how desperately he wants us to be independent of the Good Shepherd. And he won't stop until he's stolen as many souls as he can, as, until he's taken as many souls to hell as he possibly can. So Jesus says, I've come to be the Good Shepherd. I've come to save the sheep. And if you will trust in me, I will save you and my spirit will be your security and your protector and your guardian. But listen, the wilderness is dangerous. If you've ever been in really serious spiritual warfare, you know what I'm talking about. If you've ever been in a trial where your faith is being stretched and you wake up in the middle of the night and you don't know what to do next and you're trying to figure it out and maybe you're calling on the Lord saying, God, you got to help me. I am, in the, I am in the bottom right now. I don't know what to do. You know that the wilderness is dangerous, but you also know that it's often the place of greatest spiritual growth. 
It's where our faith is tested. It's where James says that we become complete in the Lord as long as we're following him. So the place of attack can actually become the place of strength and refuge. It can become the place where we become strong. But we need a shepherd, first of all, because the wilderness is dangerous. Second of all, we need a shepherd because we have a tendency to wander off. How many know the old hymn? Prone to wander, Lord, I I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. How many know that hymn? Raise your hand. Three of you. That is just tragic. We're going to sing that song soon. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. I don't know about you, but that's me every morning. That's me every afternoon. That's me every evening. Why? Pastor, are you a weak Christian? No, I love the Lord with all my heart. But you know what? Sin is still on the attack. And the devil is still pushing to get me to wander away from the Lord and to be independent of the Lord and not to trust the Lord and to rebel against the Lord and to yield to temptation. Every single day that is there. So I have to ask myself and you have to ask yourself, am I distracted and discouraged and and rebellious and am I selfish Or or do I know that there's no way better than Christ? See, the sheep that know him stay close to him. They hide in the shadow of the Almighty. They put their only confidence in him. Are you the kind of sheep that, that knows the shepherd and consistently stays close to his presence? Are you the type of sheep that wanders off and is independent and doing their own thing? That that's a serious question. Do you love to abide in his presence? Do you wake up in the morning and say, I can't wait to get in the word. I can't wait to trust God. I can't wait to see what God has in store for me today. And Lord, even if it's hard, I'm going to trust you and I'm going to praise you and I'm going to follow you and I'm going to rest in your sufficiency. Is that your driving motivation every day? Or are you kind of like, well, I'll make some time for the Lord later, but I got a lot of stuff I want to do. See, we're under constant attack to be dissuaded from following the Lord. And then other people are going to come along and they're going to say, you're so stupid. You're, you're so boring. You're abiding in God. Really? That, that, that's how you're going to live? What about, uh, don't you want to have some fun? Don't you, don't you want to live for yourself? What about, you know, life's short. You only live once. Come on. Let, let's, let's, no. His sheep abide in his presence. And the Bible says that's hard, so don't get weary in well-doing. It's easy. I speak from experience, and you guys could too. It is easy to grow weary of being a committed disciple. And when we're weary, that's when we have to stand firm and we have to get close to the Lord because the wolf is, is just wandering and looking and, and, and looking who he may devour, and he's waiting. A wolf never attacks the strongest animal. They always attack the weakest animal. Let's not give him any ability to see us as weak. Because as Jesus' sheep, we should love the shepherd, and we should know the shepherd, and we should have our confidence and joy in him. And as Jesus' sheep, let's finish up. Look at verses 14 and 16. There are two distinct characteristics that identify us as his. See, Jesus says in verse 14 and 16 that these traits must be evidence in the sheep. To be called his, it should be so obvious that, that, that we have these two traits that other people will easily recognize it in us. 
So what are the two traits? Number one, write these down. The first characteristic of Jesus' sheep is that they're clearly marked. They're easily identifiable, uh, identifiable to anybody who looks at them. I remember when I was back in Israel, and I had a picture of this this morning. I wish I could show you. When I was back in Israel in the late 80s, we were riding in the bus through the, through the desert hills outside of Jerusalem. I think we were going down to Jericho. And we saw a, a, a flock of sheep. I think that's what they're called. A flock of sheep that was off to the right. And they were all marked with a bright orange marking. I'd never seen it before. All, all sheep I'd ever seen were, you know, white and fluffy and all that kind of thing. But these sheep were, were marked with a bright orange spot right on their back. And, and my dad, who was leading the trip, uh, said to the bus driver, would you stop for a minute? We all got out of the air-conditioned bus into the 110-degree heat, and we stood on the side of the road. It's like, it's like going back 2,000 years. I wish we could take everybody to Israel. You need to experience that at least once. So we're standing on the side of the road, and we're talking to the shepherd. And, and my father, through the interpreter, says to the shepherd, why are the sheep marked? He already knew the answer. He knew John 10. And the shepherd said, they're marked, so they're identifiable as mine, so nobody else can come along and steal one of my sheep, because my mark is the bright orange spot on the back, and all my sheep have the bright orange spot. That's John 10. Every believer, every sheep, every follower of Christ should be marked they should be outwardly distinguishable. So when you look at your life, you say to yourself, you have to ask yourself, is my life undeniably distinguishable that I am a follower of Jesus Christ? Does anybody who looks at me, anybody who talks to me, anybody who sees my action, anybody can evaluate the way I think, do they say without a shadow of a doubt that person loves Jesus Christ? Because his sheep are marked. Do we shy away from being identified as a disciple of Christ? When somebody says, are you a believer? Are we kind of like Peter in the garden saying, I don't, not right now. On Sunday, yes, not right now. Or do we hope and even pray, Lord, give me an opportunity. Help somebody to notice this week that I'm a believer. So when they ask me what's going on, I can speak clearly and say I love Jesus Christ. Do your friends and family know without a shadow of a doubt that, that you love Christ? Do they know that you trust him? Do they know that you serve him? Or is it fuzzy? When people look at us, do they see us being holy and set apart? Or, or, or are they not quite sure because we're just like them? The, the mark is not a symbol of exclusion or, or judgmentalism. It's a desire to let everybody know I'm saved by the blood of Jesus Christ and I'm a follower of Jesus Christ and I love Jesus Christ and I serve Jesus Christ. We should be that identifiable. And that indicates that there's a relationship with him and that's highlighted. Look at the final characteristic. This is in verse, I think, 10. It says, Jesus says, I know my sheep, and my sheep know my voice. Remember a couple weeks ago, we studied the passage where people who are hypocrites and people who don't really love the Lord, they're Christians in name only, they come to Jesus at the judgment, and they say, Lord, Lord, we, we, we served you, and we did miracles in your name, and, 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 and we know you. And Jesus looks at them and says, depart from me. I never knew you. Jesus says, my sheep know me, and I know them. They're not, 
They're not random sheep that wander in and try to be part of the flock. They're marked by me, they're identified by me, and they know my voice. See, true sheep of Jesus recognize and follow his voice. It says, if you look back in verse 3, that he calls them by name and he leads them out into the pasture to feed and to live. So let me finish with this, because you've listened really well. There, there are a few important questions we have to ask ourselves based on the fact that Jesus knows his sheep and his sheep know his voice. So three questions for you. Number one, do we have the spiritual discernment to know clearly when the Lord's speaking to us? When God's speaking to you, when the Spirit's speaking to you, are you able to say clearly and distinctly, like Peter does, it's the Lord. Yes, Lord, I hear your voice. I get it. Not only from his word. I'm not just talking about from the Bible. That should be a given. But, but can we discern his voice when we're praying? Can we discern his voice when we're in trials? Can we discern his voice when another brother or sister speaks a word of encouragement to us? And conversely, do we recognize when the enemy's acting as an angel of light and trying to confuse us? Or do we quickly say, no, 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 that's the enemy. That's not biblical. That's not in keeping with the Spirit of God. That's warfare. Do you know when the Spirit's convicting? Do you know when the Spirit's teaching? Or is it still fuzzy? So, first... Do we have spiritual discernment to know when the Lord's speaking to us? And our ability to do that comes out of question two. How much time do we spend listening to his voice? Do you not only know about the Lord, but do you know him? Not just read my Bible. Listen, everybody should read your Bible. If you read your Bible every day, God bless you. That's wonderful. The Lord will bless that. But, but is it just going through, knocking out 20 minutes, reading some verses, don't really understand it, I'll figure it out later, I got to get on to the next thing? Or are we really spending time understanding the Word and learning to know who Jesus is and learning to discern His voice? I, I mean this as seriously as I can say it. Are you hungry for the Word of God? And if you, the answer to that is in any way no this morning, I beg you, ask the Lord, Lord, give me a hunger for your Word. Cause me to set aside time. Lord, I've got to set aside time this week to get your Word. Because it's not just about knowledge. Listen, we all need more knowledge. It's about knowing Him. Knowing Him. Is His voice unmistakable to you? Because Jesus says... My sheep know my voice. And then there's a third question. Are you a hearer and a doer? We can maybe discern the voice of Jesus. Well, Jesus is calling me to a, a new venture of faith. Jesus is calling me uh, into, a, into a new pasture of opportunity. Jesus is calling me into a new trial. Or Jesus is warning me about spiritual danger. Or Jesus is calling me to rest. When, when we hear the voice of Jesus, do we come running to him? Oh, yes, another word from the Lord. Yes, I can't wait to get in his word. Yes, I can't wait to hear that encouragement. Yes, Lord, I want to know. Do we, do we hunger for prayer? Lord, speak to me. I want to know your will. Or when we study and we hear from the Lord, do we kind of do what Jonah does? Well, that's good, Lord. Uh, keep talking, Lord. Okay, Lord. Yes, Lord. Thank you, Lord. See, Jonah knew exactly what he was supposed to do. Jonah, go to Nineveh and preach the gospel. And Jonah says, thanks, but no thanks. I'm out of here. How many times do we do that during the day? When the Lord says, stop watching TV, 
Get off Facebook and study my word. Stop worrying. Stop being fearful. Sit down, get your thoughts clear, and call on my name. Stop living for yourself. Be set apart and be holy for me. Walk forward. Take that step of faith. Even you, you don't know what's going to happen next. And trust me, I've got you. I will take care of you. I will protect you. I'm your shepherd. When, when God speaks to us that way, and trust me, he does hundreds of times a day. Do we say, yes, Lord, yes, I'm ready. I want to be like you. Yes, Lord, right now, tell me what to do. Or do we say, you know what, let me defer that to later. His sheep know his voice, and they act upon it. See, the problem was the people of Israel didn't listen. The Pharisees completely shut Jesus out. The Sadducees denied his resurrection. The Jewish leaders said no. Many of the people turned away because his word was too hard. And then there were a few that loved him. But Jesus says, look, because there's been denial of me throughout this nation, there's now another flock. Look at it. One more verse here. This is important because there's an application for us. He says in verse 16, I have other sheep who are not of this fold. Who's he speaking about there? He's talking about the Gentiles. All throughout the Old Testament, it's been all about the Jews. All about the Jews. You're my chosen people. Everybody else is evil. They want nothing to do with me. They serve other gods. So it's just about the Jews. God gives the Jews every single opportunity to trust in him. At every turn, they rebel from the wilderness to the prophets to when they're in captivity. They keep rebelling, keep rebelling. Finally, there's silence for 400 years. And then a man gets a word, you're going to have a son. And the son's going to be a precursor to the Messiah. And then Mary and Joseph get a word. You're going to have a child. And the child's going to be the son of the Most High. And you're going to call him Jesus because he's going to save his people from their sins. And all of a sudden, the gospel now comes in human flesh. And the Jews still reject him. And God says, fine, I'm turning to the Gentiles now. Jesus says, look at the verse one more time. I have sheep that are not of this fold. In other words, they're not Jews. We're now going to have a new flock, and the new flock's going to combine with this flock. There's going to be one flock and one shepherd. The Jews fought that all throughout the New Testament. Read Galatians, read Romans, read Corinthians. The Jews fought it, and they said, no, Gentiles, if you're going to be accepted, then you've got to follow the law just like we do. Paul and Peter actually have a face-to-face -face confrontation in Acts 15 in Jerusalem, where Paul gets in Peter's grill, and he he says, look, knock it off. You're telling the Gentiles they have to act like Jews. That's not how it works. Jew and Gentile, one. There's now no difference. Now, God still has a plan for the Jews, but there's one flock and one shepherd. Jesus says there's another flock, and it's not you. Now, why is that important? Well, I'm going to tell you. Give me one more minute. The Lord really impressed something upon my heart as a spiritual principle to close this morning. Because as we examine our own lives and we see how identifiable we are as his sheep and how well we know his voice, we need to understand now as a body, as a church, we need to understand that there are people out there that do not yet know his voice, that need to know his voice. They need someone to tell them about the good shepherd that laid down his life for his sheep. 
There is a flock out there that we don't know about yet. People in this area that need Jesus Christ as their Savior and people in this area that need a church to identify with and connect with. And in a few weeks, God willing, if everything works out right, God's going to lead us to a new area. He's going to lead us to a new building. He's going to lead us to new opportunities. Many of you live up in that area. And now is a perfect time for us to refresh everything and invite somebody and say, you need to know about the Good Shepherd. Listen, this is not a time for us to be timid. God is opening up a door for us to reach out to people that are unchurched, and unsaved, or need a, a place of connection. Maybe they're indifferent about the Lord. Maybe they've fallen away from the Lord. Maybe they've been burned by church. I don't know. I don't care. The point is, there's a flock out there that needs Christ. And guess whose job it is? Not the biggest church in town, not the smallest church in town, not the pastor, not the missionaries, not the Christian organization. The job is ours. So I want to encourage you, Start thinking and praying now. Who am I going to invite? There are brochures on the uh, table in the lobby that we've had there for weeks and weeks about inviting somebody. It's a bright orange brochure. Grab one of those. Start making a list. I need to invite uh, Sam at work. I need to invite Susie, who's my neighbor. I need to invite uh, my sister, who doesn't know Christ. I need to talk to my parents because they've been burned by church and they do not want to go anywhere and they're sitting at home on Sunday morning. Listen, I'm not talking about building numbers. This has nothing to do with numbers. This has to do with reaching people so they know that there is a shepherd. And you and I and this church is the difference between people wandering forever and people being part of the flock. It's on us. So God's giving us that opportunity. Let's start thinking and praying now. Who am I going to invite? Let's pray together. I want to encourage you. I know this has been a strong word. Forgive me if I've not said it well. But I want to encourage you just to take a moment. Ask yourself. Am I living as one of Jesus' flock? Am I easily identifiable? Does everybody around me know without a doubt that I love Jesus Christ? Do people that are stronger than me spiritually recognize that I'm growing in my faith? Do people that are weaker than me spiritually see me edifying them and building them up? Do people around me that are unsaved know that I have a stand, that I, that I have... Uh, values, that I have biblical conviction? Do I know the voice of Jesus? Is it easy for me to recognize the voice of the Spirit? These are, these are not just throwaway questions. These are questions straight out of the text. Is that you this morning? Because if it's not, God is gracious. And God wants you to be part of the flock. He wants you to be his own. Christ came and died for us for that reason. And maybe this morning, this needs to be a, a day of, a, of real hard spiritual evaluation. Am I living as one of his flock? If you're not this morning, it's just between you and God. He may be the only one that knows. I want to encourage you right now.
call out to him and say, Lord, remove, remove what's causing me not to be your sheep. I need to give it up. I'm independent. I'm wandering away. I'm rebellious. I'm selfish. Lord, you know, but I'm going to tell you what it is. I'm going to tell you what I see as blocking my ability to be one of your flock. And Lord, I'm, I want rid of it today. I don't want to lay my head down tonight and be the same person that I am right now. Before you leave today, that is what you have to ask yourself. It's what I have to ask myself. I've been saved 40 years, but every day am I walking with the Lord? Do I love the Lord? Do people know that I love the Lord?